All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite, favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 270 points, or eight-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 96 points, or 2.1%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 360 points, or 2.6%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 5.2%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 7.8%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 14.7%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So, new MoneyWise program last week. We were all out of pocket, and so we ran uh, our full weekend educational show. And in the last two weeks, just looking at the technical charts, and in particular this past week, uh, as we've talked on past shows where we could be caught in a trading range, this past week, boy, it was from a technical chart pattern standpoint, this was just what I call the market cha-cha, two steps forward, two steps back, two steps forward, two steps back in this trading pattern that uh, it appears we're going to be stuck in for a period of time. I think it's going to be an extended period of time when you take into what I think the full trading range is going to be. To me, the top of the trading range right now is where we started the year, which would be the in and about the all-time highs. I don't. I personally, I think it's going to be sometime next year before we get uh, over that point. Right now, we have to deal with. But uh, I'm going to do this in the first three minutes of the show. Dad would be so upset with us. The Fed is going to flood. Is going to is going to is going to front load these interest rate increases. That's the that's the message being sent. Uh, right now from, it seems, every governor that comes out and set, Federal Reserve governor comes out and says anything, that's 50 basis points on the next uh, interest rate increase, which is, I believe, May the 4th. 
Um, and it, it's probably going to be 50 basis points on the next meeting, and it might even be 50 basis points on the next meeting after that. And it's been a very long time since we've had uh, three 50 basis point raises in a row. I think they want to get it up as fast as they can, and that's going to get us, what, the May to June? That's going to get us late July for the last 50 basis points uh, move. And then I think they'll probably come out and say, we're going to see how this does. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna slow it down. We're gonna the you know we we've made a we, we've done a lot in a short period of time, and you know the market. I'm not so convinced that the market has priced in that many interest rate increases uh, over that short a period of time, at least from the federal from a federal funds point of view. Uh, I just don't – and my gut tells me this just really hasn't been figured. I mean, we're down 7.8% on the S&P without dividends. You put you put dividends in, you might take a <clears throat> half percent off that or so. So we'll call it 7%. You know, the S&P is only down 7% year-to-date. Um, and the Federal Reserve message is <clears throat> 1.5% in Fed fund increases potentially – by the middle of summer. Now, some some of, some of you might disagree. Well, that's not what the Fed really said. They hadn't really said that. But we all know that whatever they're saying today means diddly squat, because a year ago, there weren't going to be any rate increases until 2023, right? Well, and I think, and I think on top of just the interest rate increases, what's come out in the last couple of weeks since we've had a new show is talking about allowing them to allow their balance sheet to roll off, meaning allowing right. their bonds to mature and them not reinvest those principal, the return of principal back in, back into the bond market. And so they announced over the last couple of weeks that they're going to allow up to $95 billion per month to be rolling off of their balance sheet, $60 billion in treasuries, $35 billion in mortgage-backed securities. But I will say that when this was announced, and it wasn't announced by the Fed, but it came out in the federal fund uh, meeting minutes uh, this past week, or excuse me, the previous week, and the market took it in stride. I mean, the market, we did not see any type of knee-jerk reaction by the market or the algorithms and starting to sell off the market. And I was just looking at the technical charts and talking about the trading range. You know, so far this year, the peak to trough, the intraday trough to the intraday peak on the S&P 500 is around 11.2%. And the time period between the, the intraday trough and the intraday peak the trough was reached on February 24th, and the peak, intraday peak of the S&P 500 was reached on March the 29th. And so, like we were talking about, we could be seeing the markets, particularly the S&P 500, moving in and around between these two points, this kind of 11% range for an extended period of time. But I will say that I'm personally encouraged when they talked about the balance sheet roll-off, Jeff and Joe. And the market not having a knee jerk reaction. I just, okay, well, I just, well, I just well, but but see, you're assuming that that trough number is the trough, and I I don't think that's the case. I think I well, think the, I think the S and P is going to go lower than that. What's so the news, just, Jeff? The, what's, what's the, the news? That, what what's is the catalyst? the catalyst? What is the catalyst? Because the trough, <laughs> the intraday trough on the S and P 500 was forty one fourteen. 
That's 4,114 points on the S&P 500. That was the intraday trough that was, that was seen on February the 24th. And I know that some prognosticators on in the financial entertainment press are saying, well, is that 4114 going to be potentially the low for the year? Now, I know, Jeff, you're probably in the camp saying, no, that's not the low for the year. But then I always come back to you to ask, what is the catalyst to push us below that 4114 point on the S&P 500? And well, before you tough. answer that question, yeah, yeah you're going to have to think about it during the commercial break, and you can come back with your answer. So let's do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, Take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, before we went to commercial break, I was not to get too deep in the technical weeds, but we've been talking on past Money Wise programs how the market can be stuck in a trading range for potentially an extended period of time as the Federal Reserve is moving and making changes to monetary policy in a more hawkish fashion where it looks like they're going to be front-loading their interest rate increases as well as allowing their balance sheet, their bond portfolio to do what's called a balance sheet roll-off. It's also called quantitative tightening. So before we went to break, I was talking about the trough and the peak of the S&P 500 pretty much this entire year where we saw the trough at 4,114 points on the S&P, where the peak was 4,637 points. It's about 11.2% range between the trough and the peak. So before we went to commercial break, Jeff, you had made the comment where you don't feel confident that 4,114, the trough on the S&P 500, which was reached on February 24th, might not necessarily be the low. And so my, my question to you is, my question to you is, what is the catalyst that pushes the market below that point? Four words. Uh Don't fight the Fed. Okay. That's it. That's, that's all you gotta know. That's all you, no, no, Joe, let me finish now. Let me, let me, let me expand on that a little bit. Don't fight the Fed. Three steps and a stumble. Remember all these Wall Street adages that you've, that you've heard? These are old sayings, I mean, yes. These these are old sayings. Uh, worst inflation in 40 years. And I don't think we're going to 2% inflation this year. We're not going from 8 to 2 by the end of the year. It's I not happening. The Federal Reserve, on that. The Federal Reserve has two... What are, the two big mandates of the Federal Reserve is what? Price stability and full employment, right? Well, do you think that we're pretty much near full employment at three point whatever percent it is? So there's nothing the uh, Fed can do. The Fed can't do really do anything there. The Fed is going to use all its power to get inflation down. And what's the only thing that they have in their toolbox? 
manipulating interest rates. Monetary just policy. Like, just like they've done for the last 13-plus years, manipulating but, interest rates. Okay, so, no, this wait, is I'm true. not done. I'm not done. Uh, okay. So they're well, going to be folks, in here. They're going to keep raising interest rates. They're going to keep talking about all these things that they're going to do. And the markets will whistle past the graveyard for a period of time. And then one day you'll come in and some Fed governor will say, well, you know what, guys? I think we might need to go 75 basis points at the next meeting. And next thing you know, the Dow's down a 1,000 points. And you know who it's, whose mouth it's going to come out of? Probably Bullard. Right. Well, no. if, if anyone, <laughs> yeah, if anyone's going to say, if anyone's right? going to say something like that, it's going to be it's going to be Bullard. But we we do know Jay Powell as the chairman of the Federal Reserve has you know he's not a PhD economist. He's he's worked in the banking industry in the real world, and that's one I, I would say that I, I think the Fed understands that they have very few wins as far as bringing the economy in for a soft landing but i think <laughs> anyone but, but, but i think they can engineer a soft landing after 13 plus years of engineering from the federal reserve it's it's not happening so they have to they have to keep raising interest rates until they can slow the economy down enough so that they can get inflation to come down. Well, what is slowing the economy going to mean? Slowing the economy means slowing growth. What does slowing growth mean? Slowing revenue growth, slowing profit growth. And so you have to recompute all the valuations in all these stocks to, you know, to justify Microsoft or any of the big cap techs that are trading well above the S&P 500 averages. All those numbers have to be recomputed because you can't count on whatever these growth rates that these analysts are putting on these companies. You can't count on that if the Federal Reserve is out there fighting to slow the economy down via monetary policy. I heard a statistic. I don't know if this is true. I heard this on CNBC on Thursday where someone said that that analyst estimates for earnings this year, growth, they've only lowered them by about 1% over whatever estimates they had previously. I don't know where the number came from. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but let's just say for for discussion, it is. That's all they've adjusted. So if they're assuming we're going to have 8% growth this year, and I don't know what precisely the number is going to be, so they just lowered it to 7 we haven't even got we haven't even got into the meat and potatoes. We haven't even got to salad with the earnings yet. I mean, we've only got a few bank earnings and and they were mixed. Some good, some bad. JP Morgan was down. I think Wells Fargo was Wells up. Fargo was down. Goldman Goldman beat on the top and bottom line. That's right, you're right. Wells Fargo was down. Goldman was up a little bit, mostly on trading. Their trading profits, I think, is what was driving. But I just don't think that the markets have fully priced in what's what's coming, not with the S&P only down 7% for the year with dividends, because the Fed is not our friend. The Fed is not our friend. They are the enemy right now. 
and they've been our friend for a number of years. And so as I wrote in the market comments, you know, the, the, the easy money years are over. It's over, ladies and gentlemen, for the easy money. You know, people are going to have to start paying 6 7% for a mortgage again. And that's going to probably be coming here in the next year. So if you're trying to buy, if you want to buy a house, you better be out there finding something right now. Because mortgage just talk, rates just crossed to a couple, 5%. I just talked to a couple. They got, locked, they got locked in at four and a half. And now it's like you said, Kyle, now it's over five. Just I, had to, pay five five, this I week. had to pay five in 2003 for my first house. So that was what, 19 years ago, this July. Um, and we're, we may be over that by, by, we may be we may be at six percent by the fourth quarter. So well, you know the markets right now, you get these couple of days with these up two hundred, three hundred points, and you got all the bulls coming out saying, "Oh, see, there's the low. Now you got to get in." Oh yeah, that was it. So, you know, all clear from here. Heck no, all clear from here. Give me a break. And what do we do the next day? We're doing the same thing we've been doing week after week after week after week this year. It's two steps forward, three steps back, and and we're down. You know, we're down it, a week. Interest it's rates. It's a cha cha. Yeah, it's a cha cha. Now, one piece of positive news was core inflation. The report at the beginning of the week. That's the we got to bring something positive to the show. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the only thing that I saw. The entire. I mean, there are a few things, but that was a one ray of sunlight. Was the the core? What uh, that it was slightly? Well, it, it was slightly less than expected. Slightly no, lower. Jeff, it was cut. It, it, it was down. it was cut. It was cut in half. They were expecting yeah. six tenths. It was three tenths, and so back yeah, the to, year over to, year. To my, what, yeah, the year over year was yeah. still huge. Okay, but but the year over year, we were also still dealing with the Delta variant. We were still dealing with COVID. We were still dealing with consumers mm-hmm. behaving differently because of the lockdowns. We have to we have to not forget what has really been driving most of this inflation. Yes, some of it was from boneheaded policy out of the Biden administration when it came to the oil industry and the hydrocarbon industry, exact, you know, period. And then now we're dealing with food inflation because of what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. Although I will say this past week, I heard the Ukrainian farmers uh, uh, are out there planting their fields. God bless them because they understand the food supply for the world and how important they are. And they're out there dodging bullets, planting their fields. Now, whether those crops are going to be ready on time or whether they're going to be able to harvest them, we don't know. But God bless them for going out in the fields and planting because they were doing that this past week. And so we have to remember what got us to this inflationary situation that we're in. And we're starting to see consumer behavior also shifting away from as much product and moving and starting to move back over into services. So this is where some of this equilibrium can come and where we maybe have seen this decrease in the core stripping out food and fuel the core inflation that went from six-tenths to three-tenths. So, yes, the Fed, I agree with you, Jeff, the Fed is going to front-load their monetary policy. But they're going to be putting in a 50 basis point increase in May, possibly another one in June, and it's all going to be data-dependent. Because we know, yes, if the two- and ten-year inverts on the yield curve, then it's most likely could potentially lead to a recession. 
but that recession might not show up for 18 to 20 months after that first inversion takes place. So let me pause right there so we can take a break. We'll pick this up on the other side. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, just kind of going through a debate as far as the Federal Reserve, monetary policy, inflation. And I was just kind of reminding all the listeners that what has really driven a lot of the inflation that we're seeing today. And now when we had inflation this high back in the early 80s, it wasn't driven because of a global pandemic. It wasn't being driven. Well, maybe part of it was being driven by not smart oil policy. That's kind of a hangover from the Carter administration in the late 70s and the oil embargo. And then obviously the food inflation that we're feeling and will continue to feel because of this Russia-Ukraine uh, conflict that's going on. But as consumer behavior shifts, and there's data that came out this past week that they're starting to show signs of that shifting of, of consumer behavior, that as time goes on will help bring this inflation down. And as I've said on past MoneyWise programs, the Federal Reserve is only using the one tool that they have in their toolbox, and that is their monetary policy. Well, they might have a flathead screwdriver when in this situation and the inflation we're facing and what's caused the inflation, they need more of a Phillips head screwdriver. They might, they just don't have exactly the right tool. So they're only going to be trying to use the tool that they have. But I think as time goes on, Consumer behavior changes because let's not forget, Jeff. Yeah, consumer, we're at full consumer behaviors. Is consumer behavior is going to change. Okay, because the consumers, the consumers, not going to be here. able to afford to keep paying, you know, keep keep paying for food or fuel or whatever it is going up. How many percent a month is going to keep going up? Consumer is going to change its behavior, and the Federal Reserve only needs one tool, and that is their monetary policy and it's a very powerful tool and it's a very and it's it's a tool that's going to have an effect on the markets just as it's had for the last 13 years we have to get back we have to get back to a interest we'll call it interest rate normalization we have to get back to that whatever What's that normal? number is exactly what is normal what is that normal well i think normal not the last 10 years yeah, yeah, it's not the last For us ten years. Younger listeners, you, you know, I can, I can throw out, I can throw yeah. you out examples like two thousand and four. GDP was four percent, unemployment was five point four, and inflation was two point seven. The Fed funds rate was very low, right? Um, if I go back to two thousand seven, can you go look at you want 07? me to look at oh seven? Sure, I'll look at oh seven October. For you. October. Two, I'm just curious if you've got 2007. it. 2007. All right. In 2007, for the year 07, GDP was 2%, unemployment was 5%, and inflation was 28 
and the Fed funds rate in the middle of September of 2007 was four and three quarters percent. That was the rate, four and three quarters percent. Okay, okay, let me stop you right there. So four and three quarters percent. Well, I, I know for a fact that October 9th of 07, the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit their all-time highs at a 10-year treasury paying over 4%, four and a half, over 4.5%. So markets can still go up in a higher interest rate environment. And in a rising interest rate environment, they still can go up because yeah, here's what, the other what was thing. the PE? What were what were what was valuation of stocks at that time? And I don't have that statistic sitting in front of me. I'll find we, it during can, the next commercial. Can we, can we all agree that that we're still at historically elevated levels of valuation when you look at price to earnings ratios? Than, than you know the historic averages. We're still above that. Even though we've come down, we're still above that. And the question still is, as I've been pointing out many times over the last few months, is the E, the earnings portion of that equation, is still a question mark. You know, how you know much- where some of that E you know where some of that E comes from, Jeff? It comes from a U six unemployment rate at six point nine percent. It comes from the consumer, the American household having some of the lowest debt servicing costs this century. So we got low unemployment. Yeah, I don't think the earnings some of the lowest of, I don't think the earnings of Microsoft comes from U six or comes from all the things you just mentioned. You know, no, yes, no, the point, Joe the point to, I, no, I, I, Joe I didn't even I want to let finish my point. Can I finish my point though? First, this is this is this is where the economy continues to move forward. When you have low debt servicing costs, when you have over two trillion dollars sitting in savings from the American household, and the fact that anyone who wants a job can go out and get a job. And yes, we've seen wage inflation; it's being eaten up by inflation currently. But here's mm-hmm. one thing: if you're an employer and you have an employee that you're paying twenty dollars an hour due to needing to pay them that to get them to come into work. Now, all of a sudden, inflation has started to moderate. We've gotten further away from the COVID pandemic. The Fed has done what the Fed is going to do. That employer isn't all of a sudden going to go to the employee and say, well, I was paying you 20 now I'm going to pay you 10 because then they know that employee is going to be right out the door. So as inflation starts to moderate, and it starts to come down as time goes on, that higher wage inflation, that person is now going to be making more money, and it's not going to be eroded so much by the inflation that we're feeling. We get some political changes in the future, changes potentially to energy policy, which I'm not going to hold my breath on. This conflict in Russia and Ukraine finally subsides. You know, there's going and the shift in the consumer behavior, but when you've got unemployment this low, when you've got this much money in cash from the American consumer, you've got debt servicing costs this low, Jeff. They're still making. They're still delinquencies, paying. Hey, delinquencies are going higher. Delinquencies are way. going higher. You need to look at subprime. Subprime delinquencies are increasing. Cars, they've been. It, this delinquency but rates have been going up. That means always no. have those but, issues, no matter okay. what the inflation rate is. Here's the thing: is. unemployment's a lagging indicator. It's not a leading indicator. Unemployment's a lagging indicator. I mean, it is. It's a lagging indicator. So one month's little slightly less hot inflation number, and you're ready to declare inflation defeated for all times? No, I mean, no. no. It's going to take, it's gonna take I, time I for it to I work can't off. Get there. I but, can't but Jeff, get there. And so the Fed is going, to keep, is going to keep 
the foot on the accelerator until they overshoot. They always do. We know this. And the markets are going to, are going to react to that. And so far, the markets, you know, they had, we had that run down in March. And now we've had this little bit of a rally back. We got to what half, about halfway, and now we failed, and we started heading back the other way again. And the meat and potatoes of earnings are upon us, and there are going to be some things said that are not going to be received well by the markets, and that could prove to be the catalyst to take us right back down to those lows. And your range that you were talking about earlier is now going to be a lower range. So Jeff's talking about P.E. ratios, essentially, when earnings come out. And that will be in the next segment. But 2007, January 2007, the average P.E. ratio of the S&P was 17.5. That's, in 08, they went up dramatically. So, Well, 17 okay. and a half is a lot lower than it is right now. We're still in the uh, 20s, I okay. believe. Uh, right? 22 as of as of Thursday's close, 22.2. So, so we're, we're 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 off five, you no, know, but five five, B, in, five into five 22 points. is a big percentage. Five into you know 17 minus 22 is five, and five divided into that is a big number, ladies and gentlemen. And by the okay, way, so, so January 08 was 21.4 percent. I mean, so Jeff, so the Fed, so the Fed overshoots, right? So they overshoot, they raise it a little bit too much, and what do they do? They can turn right around and turn dovish, and start cutting interest rates, and then the markets going to do. The markets will have probably already bottomed before they look back and say they've overshot. Now, am I saying that we're going to be down thirty percent in two thousand and twenty-two? I know that's not what what I'm saying. Uh, our our base case is still we believe that we'll be up for the year by the time we get to the end of the year. But it's in a in a moderate asset allocation portfolio, you know, our base case is somewhere between positive one and positive three. But right now, a balanced portfolio. You look at all the target date funds. You, which is the, where a lot of money is invested in four hundred one ks. You look at all the balanced mutual funds. They're all down somewhere between minus six and minus almost minus eight. If you go out on the, the, the 2040 or further out target date funds, the average uh, 50 to 70% stock allocation balance fund uh, on uh, close of business Wednesday was down like five and a half, somewhere between five and a half and 6%. So that, that we're going to have to have a nice little rally to even get to our base case by the end of the year. I think there's a trend down through the summer, and the Fed's going to do their you know, three 50 basis point increases, get us to almost 2% on the Fed funds. The 10-year probably <clears throat> goes uh, above, you know, may, maybe touching four. You think we're going to get to four on the 10-year? We're already at 2.82. 2. 2. 2.82. On uh, we're at 282, and there's been one quarter percent increase in Fed funds rate, and the ten years well, only at 282. How uh, much you think it's going to be up if we do three, if we do two or three 50 basis point moves on Fed funds? Well, before we go to the next break, I will say that I agree that they're going to be accelerating their monetary policy and front loading it. 
and and I'll and I've been on record saying that I think this is going to be more of a second half year for 2022. But let's take our first commercial break. Your first, <laughs> our <laughs> next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So I wanted to pick up on something that we said at the end of the last segment talking about target date funds. Because I know a lot of our listeners could be participating in 401ks, and a good majority of 401k plans have these target date funds. And what target date funds are, it's basically an asset allocation model that is contained within one particular security mutual fund. And they have target dates, like if you're going to retire in 2040 or if you retire in 2025. This is how you select it. It's basically the mutual fund industry trying to simplify uh, portfolio management and asset allocation creation into these types of funds. We've never been huge fans of the target date funds because we saw what happened to them during the financial crisis back in 2008. And, of course, we took them out to the woodshed on the on the Money Wise program all those years ago. But I know, Joe, you, as our director of our retirement plan division, you go out and you meet with all of our 401K clients, and you had a meeting uh, on Thursday with some of our Corpus Christi 401K clients, and a participant came up. So I wanted to turn it over to you to kind of tell the story. Sure. This is, Joe, this is Joe's man-on-the-street uh, interpretation Corner. of what's going on out there. Yeah, the 401K world, and we've had multiple meetings. But one of the things that just – Dovetailing what Kyle was talking about, if you're in a target date fund in the average 401k, that's going to be usually what they call a, a, a qualified default investment alternative, meaning if you pick nothing, they're going to throw you into that fund based on your assumed retirement age, okay? But in this one particular instance, the gentleman came up to me, and I've talked to him before. I said, look, you know, this tip, typical situation, whatever the default is, is probably going to be appropriate for you if you don't have time to manage your money all the time or listen to the show on a weekly basis, which contrary to our belief, not everybody does that. But what I'm saying is, so what he did is he put all of his money in a bond fund. And we've talked about this at the beginning of the year. We knew where rates were going to go. And, you know, we can control the bond duration a little bit more in an individual allocation than we can in a 401k. But in this particular case, I said, look, I'm going to call you Monday. I'm going to make sure you're in the right situation, in the right portfolio. But in this case, and we we're just talking about bonds, if you're in a moderate allocation like Jeff was talking about earlier in the segment, you may be down between 6 and 8%. Well, the intermediate core plus bond index for the year is down 7.55. Okay, actually, that's Morningstar. So all the average 
Morningstar Intermediate Core uh, plus bond funds are down on average 7.55. Some of the better ones we've seen in multiple 401k plants are down 8.30%. So you're actually down more in an intermediate bond fund that you're thinking is safe versus a moderate target date fund or a moderate allocation model. So you can lose money in bonds. And I think the point that you're bringing up is is because there could be a lot of listeners of this program that are overseeing their own 401k as a participant, or they don't have someone that's able to actively manage it. And I always want to remind any of our listeners that are over the age of 59 and a half participating in a 401k, you have the ability to do what's called an in-service distribution or an in-service withdrawal and roll that into an IRA account that can be professionally managed. We work with a lot of clients currently at Davidson Capital Management that have taken advantage of that in-service distribution rollover into an IRA to allow our management team, our group, actually manage that for them actively. And so it's important for you to know that. And and most 401k plan providers are not going to be advertising this option for any participant over the age of 59 and a half because they don't want your assets to leave the 401k because that affects their fee. So going back to Joe's point, for any listener that is participating in a 401k and was very nervous about the volatility that we saw in the first quarter of this year and decided I'm going to shift everything over into a bond mutual fund, This is where they might be shocked when they see their monthly statements and find out that they actually have a negative return because you can, as Joe said, you can lose money in a bond fund. And in this situation this year, what's very unusual about this year is you both have the stock market negative, but the bond market, and depending upon your duration of the bond fund, you could be even more underwater and underperforming just the S&P 500 index by itself. So it's just a very unusual year to have both bonds and stocks negative for the year. Yeah, Joe. I just want to wrap this 401k discussion up. If you are a participant in a 401k, if you're in a very large one, you may not have an advisor on that. If you're in a, a 401k and you have you are paying fees for an advisor, call the advisor and ask them for some help. That's their job to give you guidance on what allocation to go into. If you're in a big plan with Fidelity or a Vanguard and there's really not an advisor, they have resources that you can call and get some help. But take advantage of that. You know what? Guess what? You're paying a fee to be in that 401k. And what are you paying that fee for? You're paying a fee for times like this when you can pick up the phone and call and get some help. So, but 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 be but again be very. We just want to caution you that a lot of these call centers are with folks that are licensed, but they're not professional money managers. They're not portfolio managers, and a lot of them rely on these preset asset allocation models that are provided via a Monte Carlo analysis based on their risk tolerance and their age. So again, just be very careful. I mean, this is where portfolio reviews and analysis, what we provide to our listeners of the Money Wise program can take advantage of. But I would say for anyone over the age of 59 and a half and you have a significant amount of your assets, your nest egg in your 401k, and it's not being actively managed professionally by someone that you have a personal relationship with, you should really start to ask yourself, maybe I need to pick up the phone and make a phone call. Maybe I need to talk to Davidson Capital Management, get a little bit of an education about what more I can do in my 401k while still working 
towards retirement and still wanting to participate in my 401k, but I need to get the brunt of my nest egg professionally managed and get it actively managed because this is a very, again, unusual situation this year with both the bond market and the stock market negative. And with all this shifting in monetary policy of the Fed and the volatility that we're seeing this year, it requires full-time management. It's unfortunate in the way that the speed of the markets move, you cannot manage your money part-time and be successful over the long term because the speed of the markets and all the different confluences of information requires that full-time attention and focus, and that's why you hire a professional asset management team who are fiduciaries and are completely fee-based and not on the financial sales side of the business. Well, with that, we're going up to the top of the hour break, so we're going to take the break, go into the news, and when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and continuing with investor education, so stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So now that we're in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and again, like really wanting to use the second hour for investor education, uh, a topic that we have been discussing for the nine-plus years uh, we've had the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. I, it's, it's a topic that I wanted to revisit, go into a little bit more detail about. And for any longtime listener of this program, they know uh, our disdain, our distaste, our dislike, or I should say just straight out plain hatred of annuities of any way, shape, or f- any any shape and form. And so... The reason why uh, I've been motivated to, to talk more about this and go into deeper investor education this on this weekend show is just here recently working with some prospective clients have been seeing more equity indexed annuities, which are the most dastardly of all annuity products out there, and wanted to really give the education and pretty much a f- blanket warning to any investor, any listener of this program thinking about getting involved in this type of product to not only get up and walk away, but to get up and run away. And so I want to just go into some education. So 
let's just start kind of from the very beginning. You know, what is an annuity? An annuity is a contract between you and an insurance company in which the company promises to make periodic payments to you starting immediately or at some future time. So if the payments are delayed, that's called a deferred annuity, and if the payments start immediate, it's called an immediate annuity. Bottom line, the definition of annuity is periodic payments. I mean, really, that's what it is. The key word in that statement that you just made, Kyle, is the word promise. Mm-hmm. It is not a guarantee. That's right. Now, there are, for whatever reason, the insurance industry is allowed to use that word. The G word. As part of the marketing pitch. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it is nothing more than a promise. Because as we've said uh, since the beginning of this show in 2005, there is only one only guaranteed investment, and that is government, U.S. government bonds, bills, and notes. That's right. That's the only guaranteed investment. Anything else is nothing more than a promise. It's a, and really, it's like you said, Jeff, it's a sales pitch. It's in the sales pitch because that the G word, as we call it, the get word guaranteed, gives the potential buyer that warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm protected under this this blanket of cover, this blanket of guarantee, and that's that's not true in the world of annuities. So annuities really come in two types, fixed and variable. Now, a fixed annuity, the insurance company guarantees, quote-unquote, guarantees both the rate of return and the payout. A variable annuity's rate of return is not stable, and it varies with stock, bond, money market funds that you choose as investment options. And there is no guarantee that you will earn any return on your investment, and there is risk that you will lose money in the variable annuity contract. So those are just kind of the two basic, main basic annuities. Now we get over to what is an indexed or equity indexed annuity. The new marketing term that they're using now, Jeff and Dad, is a hybrid annuity, which is starting to show up at at lunch and dinner seminars across the city, a hybrid annuity. This, the equity indexed annuity product, Mm -hmm. is... On the radio, as, as as it's almost as heavily marketed now as gold is. I'd probably say in some instances more. Jeff. You know, I don't see, I do not see on television a lot of pitches for equity indexed annuities. But whether it's satellite radio, whether it's terrestrial radio, uh, there are radio shows all across. You know, we we hear as we're driving across the state of Texas, there are probably. Five equity indexed annuity based radio pitch shows for every one registered investment advisor uh, type show, like we have it here with uh, MoneyWise on KKTX. There, th- there'll be five others. Uh, we know of at least two or three in the San Antonio market that do nothing but pitch equity indexed annuities. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know for a fact in every large market in this state, there is a radio show either running on Saturday or Sunday whose one and only basis of running that show is to promote equity indexed annuities. And every show is just repetitive, 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 trying to drill in all their marketing techniques and some of the outrageous claims that they can make. And as we get further into this education, I'll explain why the salespeople 
of equity indexed annuities can make such outrageous claims in their sales pitches. So what is an equity indexed annuity? An EIA, for short, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. The return varies more than a fixed annuity, but not as much as a variable annuity. Now, I need to educate our listeners that equity-indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete against CDs. Now, Jeff, throughout the history of of the advent of CDs, are CDs known for being high rate of return givers? No. Earners? They're, they're, They're basically one step below government bonds in okay. terms of in terms of safety as a, I mean, in, in return and then return you know CDs are back if you buy a CD at a commercial bank and it has FDIC insurance mm-hmm. and you buy the CD under the FDI insurance limits then you are covered by the FDIC insurance program if so, if that bank should fail so so with this in mind knowing that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete with CDs, that should tell you right off the bat that your rate of return is going to be low. No matter what pitch the salesperson on the other end of the on the other side of the desk is giving you, know in the back of your mind these things were created to compete against CDs. And so you might be looking at a rate of return slightly higher. And when I say slight, I'm talking slightly higher than what you could get in a fixed annuity. And as we get further into the education, I know we're bumping up on a commercial break, you'll see that with a rate of return that might slightly be a little bit higher than a CD or slightly a little bit higher than a fixed annuity of why you'd want to avoid these things like the plague when we really start to get into the guts of how these things are actually composed. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise.com at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our education about equity indexed annuities and why you should avoid these things like the black plague, um, just going into the basics of what exactly it is, an equity indexed annuity, again, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. Uh, And again, these things were created back in the late 90s to compete against the returns of CDs. So if you're thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, you can know right off the bat, no matter what pitch the salesman gives you, that your rate of return might be a little bit higher than that of a CD. But as we get further into this education, you will see how illiquid these things are and how horrible these products are. And we're doing our best to educate our listeners to avoid this so we We'll stop seeing prospective clients coming into our office having bought these horrendous products. Um, so let's get back to the EIA. Now, equity indexed annuities offer a minimum rate of return, a rate of interest, and an interest rate linked to a market index. Uh, now, what is the guaranteed minimum rate? Well, typically the guaranteed minimum rate is at least 87.5% of the original premium paid. Uh, and 
that interest rate is going to vary depending upon insurance company of about 1 to 3 percent. I mean, that'll be your minimum rate of return of 1 to 3 percent. Now, remember, if you surrender the equity indexed annuity early, you will have to pay a significant surrender charge and a 10% tax penalty, which will reduce or eliminate any returns. And I wanted to talk about that. If you're funding annuities, and this goes for equity indexed annuities, fixed annuities, variable annuities, if you're funding annuities with after-tax dollars and you're pre-59 and a half, if you take out any money from that annuity, whether it's a full surrender, if it's a 10% free withdrawal, when you receive those dollars, a portion of those dollars would be considered gains and taxed as ordinary income, and you would have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, the tax consequences of annuities are typically not disclosed by the salesperson. The salesperson only talks about how great the tax-deferred growth is, but they don't explain to you that when you pull money out of an annuity, how it's taxed, uh, really the detrimental tax effects it has on the way coming out. And that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. What we have found, Jeff and I and Dad, what we have found when salespeople are selling annuities, they sell based on half-truths. They only tell you half of the story. They only tell you the good part of the story. They never tell you the bad part of the story because if they told you the bad part of the story, you would never sign on the dotted line. You would never, ever in a million years buy any type of an annuity product if they gave you the full truth about these products. And that's what we're here doing today is giving you the full truth about these products to really educate you so you know going in that if this product is pitched to you or positioned to you, you will get up and walk away from the table. So how good is this quote-unquote guarantee? As Jeff and I said earlier, guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that wrote it. So it's not a guarantee. It's a promise. And when it comes to these quote-unquote promises, something else that an annuity salesperson will not tell you is that the state of Texas has a state insurance trust where basically that trust is in place in case an insurance company goes out of business. Well, in the state of Texas, the maximum amount of restitution you could receive back from this trust fund at the, in the state of Texas if an insurance company that you had assets with went out of business is a quarter of a million dollars. So if you go and put a half a million, 600000 a million dollars, whether it be a fixed annuity, equity indexed annuity, or variable annuity, and this insurance company goes belly up, the most you could receive back from the state of Texas would be a quarter of a million dollars. Something else a salesperson is not going to tell you when they're selling you this product. And I can tell you this, during the financial crisis, if we as taxpayers hadn't bailed out AIG with a $186 billion bridge loan to cover their books, the annuity business as we know it would be dead. Now, you don't ever see any stories about that. Nope. We, we talk about it. I mean, we talk about it, but, but the, the fact of the matter is this is a... This is a secret part of the financial crisis that's never, ever discussed. That's right. And unfortunately, the salesmen that were pitching these products prior to the financial crisis really haven't changed their story. It's the same story. No, the financial crisis, Dad, actually gave them more fire for their sales pitch because annuities... Well, fear has got higher. Yeah, well, particularly equity-indexed annuities, they're sold based on fear. 
and really annuities in general, but especially equity indexed annuities are sold based on fear. So the 2008 financial crisis has done nothing but bolster equity indexed annuity sales because they can prey the salesman. Yes, and I use the word, they can prey on your fear, on your uncomfortableness and say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I've got the product for you. All the upside of the S&P 500 with none of the downside. How could you go wrong? That is the sales pitch. That is a sales pitch, and it's a flat-out lie. And here's the, here is the the thing about that sales pitch. If you listen to it very carefully, and you hear that you'll hear, hear this on the radio shows that promote this product, all the upside, none of the downside. So it's a heads I win as an investor, and tails the insurance company loses. I want you. That doesn't exist. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How does an organization stay in business if the markets go goes up ten percent? Well, you get ten percent. And if, and if the market goes down ten percent, well, you get the guaranteed minimum rate of return, which might be one to three percent. So you you win either way. Think about that logically for a second. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And and here's something else. Here's something else that's thrown into the sales pitch. Mr. Ms. Klein, I'm not making a commission. Yeah, that's I don't make anything. I don't make anything on selling you this product. I'm doing this purely out of the goodness of my heart because I work for free. Right. That is another part they of don't, the sales they don't go, pitch. They don't go quite that far, but, but the oh really? <laughs> I, I, you, you may be <laughs> sorry. You, you may be making yeah, a little more dramatic. You may be making bit. a little more dramatic. But there isn't a line item on this on the quarterly statement that comes to the to the client that says sales commission because the sales commissions are paid directly from the insurance company into the salesperson's pocket. Okay, so getting back to equity indexed annuities, so how are the equity indexed annuity interest rates compounded, the rate of return compounded? Well, again, the indexed, when they talk about index, typically a lot of them use the S&P 500. And the index-linked gains depends on the particular combination of indexing features that the EIA uses. Now, a lot of equity-indexed annuities talk about participation rate, meaning how much of the linked index are you going to be participating in. So the participation rate determines how much of that gain in the index will be credited to the annuity. For an example, an insurance company might set the participation rate at 80%, which means that the annuity would be credited with 80% of the gain experienced by the index. Now, that sounds good. So if the S&P is up 10%, then well, theoretically you'd say, okay, well, I want to get 8%. That's right. Or some, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about 100% participation. So you as the customer thinking, wow, I get 100% participation of the S&P 500 index, so I get all the upside, but then if it goes down and the market goes to zero or less than zero, I get the guaranteed minimum return. Man, what a great deal. I can't believe these products haven't been around forever. Why doesn't everyone own these? That's the good part. Let's actually get a little bit deeper and talk about what every equity indexed annuity has that's buried deep in their 100-plus page prospectus. They have what's called an interest rate cap. And what happens is equity indexed annuities put a cap on the upper limit of your return. And this cap is generally stated as a percentage. 
So let's say that this maximum rate of interest the annuity will earn, for example, you have a cap of, say, 4%. So the market goes up 10. The S&P goes up 10%. You're capped at 4. That's the maximum amount of money that you can make. That's the maximum amount of credit that can be credited back to your account. And I'm oversimplifying this because I don't want to just bore our listeners to sleep, but there are very complicated, convoluted mathematical equations that are used to create the interest rate that's credited to the account. And I can assure you it's not to the benefit of the policyholder. It's to the benefit of the insurance company that's providing and created the indexed annuity. And here's another little kicker. Equity indexed annuity companies pitch the interest rate caps. They pitch the participation rates. But guess what? How long do you think that those rates are guaranteed in a typical equity indexed annuity contract? Short periods of time. Less than a year. One year. One year. One year less. Equity indexed annuities have the ability, and most of them do this, that I've done research on, to adjust those guaranteed interest rate caps and participation rates after the first year. They reset them, and they do not have to notify you of them. So what they do is they get you with the teaser rates, get you to sign on the dotted line, get you locked up into extremely long surrender penalty periods, and then 12 months later, the rug is pulled out from underneath you, and your equity indexed annuity. We're going to come to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us on our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about how insurance companies that sell equity-indexed annuities link interest rates basically how your annuity is credited with a rate of return. We talked about the participation rates, how a lot of equity indexed annuities will pitch 100% participation in the linked index, which sounds great. But then you get down to the part of the contract where it talks about the rate of return caps that the equity indexed annuity uh, Per basically has in place to where they might cap you at a maximum of a 2% rate of return per month. So if the market was up 5% in one month, you might only get two. Um, but again, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, what I have found in my research is that equity indexed annuities give you a one-year teaser rate to get you to sign on that dotted line. And then after 12 months of signing that contract, everything changes participation rate changes, interest rate cap changes, and again, it's to the detriment of your account and to the betterment of the insurance company. And that is a sales pitch. That is a sales tactic. And I don't mean to steal any of your thunder, but there is is another teaser that draws clients in. Oh, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. That is the bonus that is given on the premium. And, and, And we use the word premium because an equity indexed annuity is not an investment vehicle. It is an insurance policy. And we'll talk about why that's important in just a little while. So when you're buying an annuity, 
the money you're putting into it is called a premium, just like if you were buying a life insurance policy. Uh, and so the one thing that we always say to, to anyone thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, why would an insurance company, if this product is so good, all the upside, none, none of the downside, downside, why would an insurance company need to motivate a buyer with a 10% or 15% upfront bonus? And I'm talking 10% of what you're investing. So if you're putting in $100,000 with a 10% bonus, they're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we're going to give you $110,000 of your original premium. So we're going to give you $10,000 free, $10,000 for free to buy this product. Now think about that. If this thing was as good as the salesman is making it out to be, why would they need to give you a bonus? It's all marketing. It's all marketing. That it's to get your sales juices going, so where you no, will so go inside and get out of line. Really get greed. I mean, how many how many right. investment products can you buy? I mean, if you were to buy a mutual fund, you go on the paper and oh, here's this Vanguard fund. Well, if I buy this Vanguard fund, they're going to give me an extra ten percent if I put a hundred thousand dollars into it. It's now going to be worth one hundred and ten thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. You see any are your mutual funds offering any, any sort of teasers to get you in or individual stocks? Heck no. No. This is the this is one of the only products that I know of that that in order to entice people to sign on the dotted line, they they sweeten the pot with these bonuses. But you must stay in that investment for the entire well, there's different there's different investing yeah. schedules. There's for different the investing, but but I can you can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that you're going to have to stay in this investment for an extended period of time to ever actually see any benefit from that bonus. And when I say extended period of time, and we're talking ten years or more. Yeah, and we'll get to the surrender penalty penalty periods in just a second you know and again as i've i've said to anyone thinking about buying these if they have to entice you with free money if this thing is really that good as it's being presented they wouldn't have to give you anything well if they were really that good kyle why would we even need to be buying stocks and why would we need to be buying bonds why wouldn't you be buying mutual funds and why would all these other organizations in the united states that are selling uh, that are managing people's money. Why would why would we need to be spending all this time about trying to figure out what's going on in the market? So all we got to do is stick it in these equity index annuities. Going to get all the upside, none of the downside, and a bonus on top of it. And why would the majority of major insurance companies not offer this insurance product? And, and you and you bring up a good point uh, that of the twenty largest insurance companies in, in the country, that nineteen of them avoid it like the plague, and don't touch it with an 11-foot pole, let alone a 10-foot pole. And most equity-indexed annuity providers are smaller, lower credit quality insurance companies, primarily located in the Midwest. You'll see them in Iowa. You'll see them in Missouri. You'll see them in Kansas. You know, you don't see the MetLife's of the world. You don't see the Prudentials. You don't see um, the principles of the world getting involved in these types of products. New York Life, they don't sell these types. Now, they sell variable annuities, and we're not going to go there because we don't like those either, but uh, we're focusing primarily on the equity index annuities. And our listeners have probably heard us keep using the word product, product, product. Listeners have to understand, everyone has to understand, this is an insurance contract. This is not a security, which means that FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission do not 
police these products, which also means they do not police the words that are coming out of salesmen's mouths when they're selling these. It's up to every state board of insurance to police these. And I can tell you with past conversations I've personally had with the state board of insurance, I think they're really behind the curve. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle, but haven't some of the major brokerage houses banned the sale of these types of investments? Well, in fact, FINRA, if you have a 7, Series 7, which is a license to sell financial security, stocks, bonds, options, what have you, um, they are really recommending you not sell these products. And that if you do want to sell these products, you have to go through quite a few hoops to even get the authority to sell them. FINRA would prefer any financial salesperson, typical stockbroker, to not sell these products. And in fact, there is an alert, an investor alert on the FINRA webpage. You can go to brokercheck.com or FINRA to actually read about the investor alerts on equity indexed annuities and how complex they are and how convoluted they are. And they're made that way and they're designed that way for a reason. So the salespeople that sell indexed annuities are not regulated by FINRA. They're not overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission. They only answer to the State Board of Insurance, which means that in their marketing pitches, they can make some absolutely outrageous claims. And when they turn out not to be true, they simply get a minor slap on their hand from the State Board of Insurance. And just to kind of, for some of our listeners that uh, were listening to us in 2005, 2006, we actually turned into the State Board of Insurance a particular radio show that was promoting equity indexed annuities. And uh, in one show, in one one hour, they had 26 noted violations in their sales practices and the sales pitches they were making. You know, continuing on EIAs, they carry extremely high fees and pay outrageous commissions to salespeople. In fact, I found a study conducted by two Ph.D. mathematicians for a firm called Securities Litigators where they have found that approximately 20% of premium paid into an equity indexed annuity goes directly into the pocket of the insurance company that created the EIA and to the sales force. And you keep saying EIA, equity, equity indexed, indexed annuities. annuities. So if you're given, so if you're buying an equity indexed annuity, putting a hundred thousand dollars into it, you can almost assure yourself that about twenty thousand dollars of that is going into the pocket of the salesperson and the insurance company that has created the product. And you might say, well, Kyle, I put in a hundred thousand dollars and I've got a hundred thousand dollars in my account. That is true. But guess what you do have? You have anywhere between 10 to 17 years of surrender penalty period. Yeah, you heard me right. 17 years. I'm reviewing accounts right now for a prospective client that has 17-year surrenders, which means that if you want to get out of this thing, you're going to be hit with a massive back-end sales charge to cover the huge amount of commissions paid to the salesperson that sold these things. Now, equity indexed annuities, again, because it's not an investment product, they can pay double-digit commissions to the people that sell them. Why do you think they're so popular for insurance agents? Why do you think they run radio shows all over the state, all over the country? Because they pay big commissions. That's right. Um and so we, you know, we talked about the surrender p- penalty period. You know, I've done a bunch of research on multiple 
equity indexed annuities. And what I have found running numbers back, and in fact, I've I've seen some where numbers have been run back to 1950. I've seen numbers run back to 1962. And I can tell you that from the research I have done, you're looking at historical rates of return for some very popular equity indexed annuities that are out there right now being sold, returns ranging anywhere from one and a half to 2% annualized per year. This is where we go back to the statement that we made in the first segment of this educational portion of the program that said that these equity indexed annuities over the long term don't re- return just maybe slightly more than you you might receive in a CD That's or, right. or government bond in, in the current interest rate environment. That's right. So let's talk about their uh, the extremely poor liquidity that equity indexed annuities provide. Now, all annuities, all annuities provide a 10% free withdrawal where you can take 10% of your money out without any kind of surrender penalties or what have you. But what happens if you lock up your retirement assets in an equity indexed annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, and God forbid you had an emergency and you needed to get a hold of more than 10%? Well, in an equity indexed annuity, you could be hit with rear-end surrender charges 20% plus to get this money out. So there is extremely poor liquidity in equity indexed annuities. Coming up to our last commercial break, we're going to take the break. When we come back, I'll be wrapping up the equity indexed annuity education, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the break, I was talking about the lack of liquidity in equity indexed annuities and really annuities in general only allowing up to a 10% free withdrawal uh, anything above that particularly in equity indexed annuities you can be hit with substantial rear end commissions or rear end surrender charges as we call them or contingent deferred sales charges is another way uh, to describe them so again they have a real lack of liquidity now as I was talking about how extremely complicated these products are, you know, they're complicated to keep purchasers in the dark. So the salesperson can can continue to make outrageous claims and sell their perceived advantages to the purchaser, but because the product is so complex and you need to be a PhD in math and mathematics to figure them out. It, it, it makes it to where the purchaser doesn't have the ability to ask any questions because they were so complex and, op- and, opa- and opaque when it comes to, to how they actually are structured and how they work. And equity indexed annuity salespeople are really targeting the financially unsophisticated. Um, because, again, once you sign on that dotted line and your 10-day or 15-day free look period is up, for the annuity, you're trapped. There's nothing else you can do. If you want out of this thing, you could possibly get hit with a 20-plus percent sales charge trying to get out of this thing. Uh, you know, and what 
again, doing my research earlier this week, I ran across an insurance company out of Iowa that in the state of California, there's currently a class action lawsuit against them where they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, the RICO Act was used to break up racketeering and basically organized crime back in the 70s and 80s. And the fact that an equity indexed annuity provider in this company in particular has over $21 billion of assets, they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. That's pretty That's pretty significant, I would say, wouldn't you say, Dan? Yes. That someone's getting accused, and actually I believe they've already lost, uh, and they're now having to pay a huge settlement. And, and really what the, the lawsuit stemmed from was the targeting of elderly people to buy equity-indexed annuities. And that's really where this California class action lawsuit is really aimed at this particular insurance company was because of their very deceptive and really predatory sales practices that they were using in equity indexed annuities. I mean, predatory to the point that Chris Hansen of Dateline NBC did a, what was it, like a one-hour or two-hour expose on the deceptive sales practices of equity indexed annuities, and he's known for the catch a predator. Well, this is to catch a financial predator. It was because his mother had been approached by uh, this a salesperson. The salesperson. That's what got him into it. And and so somewhere out there in the internet, and this was from a few years ago. Yeah, it was several. Years this was ago. several years ago. And again, any longtime listener to this program know that we are disdain for annuities of all shapes and forms, but equity indexed annuities is what really gets me fired up because they are so worthless. Well, they're, they're the my blue opinion. bonnet plague of all yeah, products of all, of all that products. we've ever come across. And, and, you know, we're doing our best to try to end the sales of these. But when you see these high commissions and because they're targeting unsophisticated investors, they get taken by these fantastic-sounding sales pitches and then realizing after they sign on that dotted line, whoops, I made a huge mistake, but it's going to cost me a fortune to get out of this thing and to fix my mistakes. We're trying to educate our listeners to avoid making the mistake in the first place. Has there been anyone in the last nine years since we've been doing this radio show that called our office that said that they had an annuity of some type and after getting a few questions answered and looking at a statement, realizing that they had an equity indexed annuity and then explaining to them that the markets did X and their particular investment did far less than X have we ever had anyone express their pleasure that they bought one of these years ago? No. In, in, in fact, the prospective client right now that I'm working on was just doing some analysis on their EIAs. Got an EIA that's had since around 2006. Since 2006, um, his performance return up 15%. Moderately allocated asset builder account at Davidson Capital Management, actively managed close to 90% in after the same, man, all fees and after expenses. all fees and expenses that's a huge difference that's a huge difference when you annualize that number when you annualize that number out again they're making just above 
what a CD would return. But uh, I can almost assure you that the sales pitch being used was all of the upside, none of the downside. And I do know, and again, for education, this prospective client had told me that another big pitch to him was that annuities was the only way to shelter your assets from lawsuits. That is an absolute lie. There are a multitude of ways to shelter your assets from being sued and from liability. Being inside an IRA, inside of a 401K, inside any kind of retirement plan, that's a way to shelter annuities. You have family-limited partnerships. Yeah. The last person that anyone should be asking about how do I shelter my assets from potential lawsuits is an insurance salesman. Amen. Amen. If you if you need to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. about shielding assets from particular that's from, right. from from a lawsuit, that's the only person, in my opinion, that would be qualified to answer that question. You don't go ask your mechanic about a tax question. Yeah, that's right. You don't and, come. And you, to, you, you, you don't come to us asking about a heart problem. That's right. You don't go to you your know. doctor to get your teeth cleaned. Right. So I mean, really, when it comes down to the end of the day, anyone that's listening to this program that has even had the fleeting thought of buying a product like this, do yourself a huge favor. Pick up the phone, give us a call at 906-0070, and take 15 to 20 minutes out of your life to get an education about how these things work. And that's of any any type of annuity. Of any type of annuity. And I can tell you that we've had some calls, I've had some calls in the past, Jeff, of people that have heard this education that we've done in the past on annuities and they have thanked us for making that mistake and buying these types of products and you know i wanted to to thank all of our listeners to to sticking with us in the second hour of this weekend's money wise program to get this education because we want to see the ending of the sales of these products because they are no good for 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 nobody i mean they're they're no good period and there should be no reason for these things to be bought. So if you want to get an education, you give us a call. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And for my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.